0: It seems the Lord is especially near Uh, when at times uh, I have an opportunity to go to the hospital and visit families that have just had a baby, or when I, I see grandparents for the first time, they're holding that brand new grandbaby of theirs. It seems like the Lord is especially near. And for those of others of you, God seems close or God seems near when, when you walk out in nature. When you see a beautiful sunrise or sunset, it just does something to you. God feels especially present in that moment. And for others of you, it's when we have a powerful moment of worship. Maybe like just a moment ago when Barry led us in that powerful song. Or maybe for you, God seems near when we break bread. And we, in that moment, consider the, the grander, the magnitude of, of God's sacrifice for us. For others of you, you might feel especially near the Lord when, when you are experiencing baptism or when you witness a baptism. Uh, what a great last Sunday morning, as I mentioned a moment ago, we had three uh, precious people who were baptized into Jesus. And, and in that moment, the gospel proclaimed in a powerful way. We're reminded again of how the gospel... Can change hearts and lives, and it seems like God is especially near. My favorite baptism story, I know I've told you before, but it's so good I just have to tell you again. I love the story that, that Milton Jones tells about the time uh, when he was campus minister at the University of Washington, and this gentleman came to him and he, he wanted to be baptized. And, and he said to Milton, he said, You know, he said, I don't like the way you do baptisms. I've seen how you do baptisms, you, you do them too quick. I mean, you just sort of dunk the person, you know, down and up. And he said, I want you to know I've, I've lived a, a pretty rough life. And so I want you to hold me under the water. In fact, I want you to hold me under the water for 10 seconds. And then you pull me up out of that water. Well, word spread on campus. They were going to have a, through the campus ministry, they were going to have a baptism. So understand, they didn't know, the kids didn't know about the 10 second thing. And so they showed up at this pool where they're going to have the baptism. And so Milton takes this young man's confession. He said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Then he takes him at that moment, holds him under. One Mississippi. Two Mississippi. Three Mississippi. Four Mississippi. About four Mississippi. The crowd's getting a little restless. And someone starts chanting, let him up, let him up, let him up. Ten Mississippis. You know, ten. Ten seconds is a long time. I think I need to start doing this when I baptize people. Don't you think that'd be a good thing? Ten ten seconds is a long time. Finally, after ten seconds, he pulls him up out of the water, gasping for air. Somebody in the crowd said, what were you trying to do, kill him? There's a lot of truth to that statement, by the way. Because when you're baptizing to Jesus, that old person dies, and you're raised up a brand new person in Christ. And those moments are holy, aren't they? Those moments when somebody is baptized into Jesus, it it seems like like the, the skies open up and God is present. God is near. We sense God's nearness every time a prayer is answered or we receive an unexpected blessing from the hand of the Lord or a word of encouragement in Jesus' name. Some of you feel close to the Lord in worship or nature or when you look into the eyes of someone that you love. And yet there are other times when it seems like God is distant or maybe even it feels like God is absent. Sometimes we feel like we've been forgotten or or maybe even forsaken. You know, there there are some songs that we sing that have a a powerful memory associated with them. Um, For some of you, you know, some of the songs that we sing in worship, you can remember maybe the first time you heard the song, or, or maybe that song is tied to a certain experience. That last song we sang just a moment ago is tied to a, a, a real experience with me. Um, the first Sunday I came back to church after my wife was, was diagnosed with cancer. She was diagnosed on Mother's Day. Uh, she was out for a few days. The next Sunday morning, I, I wasn't there that Sunday after we got that horrific news. The next Sunday morning we came back to church. And I'm preaching that week, and I'm sitting down on the front row. And right before I get up to preach, the song leader led that song that we just sang a moment ago. And you may or may not know that 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 song is is tied to the book of Job. Because after Job experiences, you know, all all this stuff, he he says a similar thing to what the song says. Uh, The line in the song is, he gives and takes away, he gives and takes away, My heart will choose to say, Lord, blessed be your name. So after Job experienced the devastation of losing his family, later on he loses his health, he loses all of his wealth. After he gets the news of, of all of that, what does he do? Amazingly, Job falls to the ground and he worships the Lord. And he says, this line is in Job chapter 1, the Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. Job's faith, his tenacity, his trust in the sovereignty of God is amazing. Sometimes our pain is so real and so raw that honestly worship is the furthest thing from our mind. The hurt is so devastating, instead of, of worshiping God, we, we have real questions for God. One of the most amazing sentences in your Bible is that sentence that, that was read a few moments ago by Al in the Scripture reading. The Lord is on the cross, and as he looks heavenward, Jesus says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This is an indicting question. Why, why have you done this? Why have you forsaken me? Jesus had certainly experienced this sense of being forsaken or forgotten by, by his friends. That's painful. Here's Judas who, who uh, sells him out, who betrays him. Here's Peter who denies him. The rest of the disciples flee. They leave him. But it's even more painful to have this sense that you've been forsaken by your Father. once heard a preacher describe preaching as not speaking to people, but preaching is speaking for people. And what Jesus does here, he gives voice to a question that sometimes we have. He gives voice to, to that feeling in our hearts when we experience loss and pain and devastation. My God, my God, why? You see, Jesus' question is our question too. And so, Jesus is crucified just outside the city on this hill called Golgotha. Nails are driven through his hands and feet, and he's up on the cross. It's it's nine in the morning. And at 12 noon, something something strange happens. Someone has written that when Jesus was born, it was bright at midnight. When Jesus was crucified, it was was dark at noon. From 12 o'clock until 3, there's this eerie, weird darkness. The the sky grows dark. You could just imagine it. The the birds stop chirping. Everything grows silent. And at some point from, from this darkness, Jesus cries out in a loud voice. Now in your Bibles, darkness is associated with chaos and sin and God's wrath. In fact, the Old Testament prophets, they would a lot of times talk about the day of the Lord. And this would be a day of judgment. This would be a time when God would come and he would punish people for their sins. It was a day associated with darkness. And so now we know that God is showing up to take care of sin, to judge sin. And if this had been the first time we'd read this story, and it might be for you even, But if it's the first time you've read this, you might be thinking, well, yes, God is showing up. God is getting ready to rain down His wrath on those horrible people who put Jesus on the cross. Those folks who put the only sinless one, the only one who never did anything wrong, up on the cross. God's going to judge all those people standing around the cross. But in fact, we know that God is not pouring out His wrath on the people around the cross. God is pouring out his wrath on Jesus. There are several passages of Scripture in your Bible that, that give us insight into exactly what's happening when Jesus is on the cross. For instance, in, in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 24, it says that he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross. And Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 5:21: that uh, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us. And then in Isaiah, this this prophet is imagining a time when this would occur. In Isaiah chapter 53 and verse 6, the prophet says, the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Christ bore our sins. He took our punishment when he was on that cross. When Jesus cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? What he felt was very real. I read this week about a a grandmother who's telling a story about her grandson he has this this illness and the treatments that he that he receives on a weekly basis are very difficult very hard in fact in fact the doctors ask the dad to come in and, and, and help hold this the son down while the doctors give this treatment and, and the boy is filled with pain and as the dad talks to his mom about what it's like to hold his boy down while he is experiencing so much pain the dad says I can't bear to look I just I I had to look away and the grandmother said "I, I wonder if it was like that for God too this week I'm indebted to Colin Smith who helped me to see that Jesus question really opens up several windows for us into what was going on when When we survey the cross as the old old song suggests, several really important ideas begin to emerge. So for instance when we look through the window at the cross, we begin to see that see what sin is. And we learn to hate it. We look through that window we, we, we see the awfulness of sin. Now we know that the changing, that True repentance is really difficult, is really hard. I, I realize we're in church, but, but can I be honest for just a moment? Sometimes, sometimes change is difficult. I mean, we like the sin we find ourselves in. And, and we come to an environment like this and we hear a sermon and maybe we feel just a little bit of guilt and we decide we're going to turn away from that sin, but, but for some reason we keep turning back to that sin, keep turning back to those things that don't bring God glory How do we get to the point where we can really change? And that's the question that that really we need to talk about at at church. And we know that that law doesn't help us. Everyone who has kids knows this. You give a child a rule, and they see it as an invitation, right? And we're a little bit like that, too. When you tell me not to do something, why is it that that thing then now suddenly has some power? Uh, Suddenly I'm kind of drawn to that thing. I know it's not right, but I want to look at it. I want to see it. I'm, I'm drawn to it. And we know it's, it's not about more willpower. <clears throat> it's not about pulling ourselves by, up by our own bootstraps. Sometimes we think that's what it is, and sometimes we think that's what religion is. It's just sort of ginning up more willpower. If it's not law, and if it's not willpower, then what is powerful enough to cause us to, to leave, to turn, from, from sin. Think about your own sin for just a moment. Just, just be honest with yourself. Think about your pride and your anger and your greed and your lust and your thoughts and, and all those actions that don't bring glory to God. Think about maybe that thing that, that maybe you're presently involved in that no one else knows about. Think about that, that thing that would cause someone else to blush if they knew you were involved in that look at all of your sin and I want to look at all of my sin and now think for a moment what that cost what your sin cost when you look at how Jesus was, was forsaken on account of your sin what sin can you not forsake on account of him Jesus was on the cross and he cried out, cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And the, the answer is it's because of your sin and it's because of my sin that he was forsaken. And we, when we look at the cross and hear Jesus cry, we, we see sin in all of its ugliness because the only righteous one, the only perfect one, the, the only innocent one was hanging on that cross and he took all of our sin. And maybe if we, we stare at the cross long enough and ponder what Jesus did for us, perhaps we'll learn to hate sin and be able to finally turn away from it, leave it. But here's something else we notice when we look through that, that, that window. We see, we see what love is, and we learn to enjoy it. You see, on the cross, we have a picture of both the wrath of God, but also the love of God. The sky turned dark and God poured out his wrath on his son for our sin. But the cross also shows us the amazing love of God. One way to measure the love that God has for us is to understand the price the father and the son were willing to pay in order to redeem us. Think for a moment what it was like for the father to give up his own dearly loved son. And probably the only reference point I have in able to and I have in order to really imagine that is to think about what if I were asked to give up my son? What it was like when my boys have experienced pain. There have been times in probably all every parent's life when you heard your children cry out. Maybe they were a little bitty or maybe they were older and, 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 and you heard them cry out in pain and you know their hearts are, are experiencing pain and, and you know, as a parent, when that happens it, it hurts you deeply imagine the father experiencing that and think for a moment what it cost jesus the only thing our lord has has known up until this moment is is perfect intimacy and closeness and unity with the father he has known this wonderful sense of community with father and spirit our lord has never known what it was like to be lonely he is only known love by the Father. In Matthew 27, Jesus cries out with a loud voice, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus experienced this in order to bear our sin. As we look at the cross, we see the incredible love that, that not only God the Father has for us, but Jesus has for us. This week, Colin Smith and many of these thoughts have been taken from colin smith he he helped me to see the cross in a more powerful way paul the apostle when he thinks about the amazing love shown to us on the cross he's he's astounded by it and so he says in romans chapter 5 and verse 8 but god demonstrates his own love for us in this while we were still sinners yet sinners christ died for us it wasn't that, that Christ said, okay, you get your life cleaned up and I'll do something really nice for you. No, Christ died for us when we we're neck deep in sin. That, that's how much He loves us. And so we see the love of God and the love of Christ when we, when, when we look at the cross. There are some times when I'll meet someone who will say, I, I know all of this. I've, I've seen, I know that God... Has, has loves me, I mean, but I've seen, I've seen what he's done on the cross, but I don't really feel, I don't really feel like God loves me. And I don't want to say, well, wait a minute, let's, let's think about this. God has known you and loved you, not in some abstract way, but he knows, has known you and loved you before the creation of the universe. And before you took your, before you were born, before you took your first breath, God the Son took on your flesh and lived a perfect life for you. And then he went to to this horrible cross for you and he took your sins, every last one of them, those sins that you have committed and those sins that you will commit, he took all of those sins. They were all laid on him. We've seen that from Isaiah 53. He experienced this horrible aloneness, this horrible aloneness for you. And you have a hard time feeling his love See his love, look at the cross and be amazed that that God doesn't just love the world in some kind of abstract way, that that God loves me and he loves you, each and every one of us. And when we see this love on the cross, we learn to enjoy it. We might be thinking, well, how can we enjoy his love? I mean, he was on a cross, He, he gave his life for us. We need to understand that Jesus is not on the cross today. He is risen and exalted. He's at the right hand of the Father, and now He knows us by name, and He is interceding for every one of us. So we should should enjoy the love of God, the love of Christ. And I'm here to tell you that when you let that love sink into your heart, it's transformative. And you may or may not be loved by any number of people, and I know in our world, a lot of times we, we don't experience love or our hearts are broken and all, all the rest. And yet the one, the one thing that lasts is this amazing love of God. And we should rejoice in it. We are loved by God. One final thing. See what faith is and learn to use it. In the darkness, Jesus cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? At this moment, we've seen that Jesus feels utterly alone. He's bearing the weight of sin, and yet he still says, my God. These are incredible words of faith. You see, Jesus is not giving up his faith in despair. Rather, he is expressing his faith. Colin Smith said this about faith. He said, faith is believing the Word of God, not because we see it to be true or feel it to be true, but because God has said it. What do we do during those dark times? And we all have them. What do we do when we cannot feel the presence of God? What do we do when, when things don't make sense to us? It's in those moments that we need to remember that Jesus has been there. Ultimately, Jesus' life does not end in despair. In fact, this is not the last word that Jesus says from the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The last word that Jesus will say from the cross is, it is finished. And what does that mean? It is a cry of victory. He's not saying, I am finished. He's not saying, I am done. He's saying, it is finished. I have paid the price. It is a cry of victory. And there are moments, I realize, when we're in the dark, and what do we do when we're in those moments of darkness? I tell you what we do, we put our eyes on Jesus, and we follow him, and we let him lead us out of darkness. Really, each of these three windows help us, should help us as we approach the table. And so those gentlemen that... that who are prepared to help us serve today if you would at this time get up and go back to the tables and and be prepared to help us as we serve communion in just a moment as we come to the table perhaps we're reminded of what sin is i wonder i wonder today in a moment we take the bread and we take the wine is there sin in your life that needs to be confessed I wonder, is there something you've been holding on to and you're not, you're not willing to let it go? I'm wondering, in this moment, is it time for you, in just a moment as we take communion, I wonder, is it time for you to let go of that sin, to see that sin and all of its ugliness? I want us to have just, I want us to pause for just a moment. Just let's, let's have a moment of silence. As we think about that sin that this morning we might, before we take communion, that sin that we might need to let go, let's just, let's just have a moment of silence and I want you to think about your life and the sin that might come between you and God. As we gather around the table, not only are we reminded of how ugly sin is, but as we gather around this table and look at the cross, we're reminded of how much God loves us. The price he paid was immense. And would you, at this moment, would you think about that love? Maybe for too long you've thought of the love of God in some sort of abstract way. Yes, God loves humanity or God loves our world, but, but would you ponder for just a moment the fact that God loves you? In all of your weakness, in all the ways you've disappointed Him and others, in all of your sin, and in, in, in all of that, God loves you. And God, God loved you so much that He let Jesus come to the world to die for you. And then, finally, some of you today are in a place of darkness. And maybe the words that Jesus expressed on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Maybe those words voice your feeling. If that's a question you're asking, it is an intense question. And Jesus lets us us know it is okay to ask that question. It is okay to be honest and real before God. I know certainly Jesus has given voice to how I've felt in the past. You know, when you think about our suffering, some of our suffering is because of other people. Some of our suffering has, and some of our questions have to do with God himself. We, we wonder, God, why did you allow this? Why didn't you stop this? But remember, when you're in a dark place, if we hold on to Jesus, if we follow him, he will in time lead us to a place of victory and hope. And though right now you might be stuck in a difficult, dark place, and you can't imagine a bright future, you're you're looking at the past, and you're looking at what, what's transpired and what's caused you great pain. Understand, if you believe in the gospel, at some point, as your healing, healing becomes more, uh, more acute, as you as you begin to heal, you will turn and you will see that God has a bright future in store for you. These words that Jesus quote from Psalm are from Psalm 22. And later on in that psalm, in verse 22, it says, I will declare your name to my people in the assembly. I will praise you. This psalm does not end in despair, but this psalm ends in a place of praise. Remember, right now, Jesus is reigning with God. And one day, everything will be set right. You know, in this world... Not everything will be said exactly right. But there's coming a time when everything will be made right. There's a sense in which Christianity is unique. Every religion believes in some sort of consolation. Some sort of of consolation in the future. But Christianity alone offers restoration. Christianity says yes we have this body that's broken down and flawed it causes us to sin and maybe we experience disease and illness but understand there's a time coming when we're going to experience restoration and you're going to be given a brand new body not susceptible to cancer or any other disease not susceptible to to wearing out And we're going to be part of a place called a new heaven and new earth. A lot of things we like about this world, but this world is broken and flawed and fallen and all kinds of bad stuff happens in this world. But we're going to experience restoration. We're going to be in that new heaven and new earth, and Jesus is going to be there, and God is going to be there. Every time we break bread, every time we take that bread, we break it and put it to our lips, every time we take that cup and we drink that cup, what it's saying is one day we're going to be a part of this incredible banquet. Jesus tells his disciples, I'm not going to eat and drink this with you again until we eat it together in the kingdom of God. One day we're going to be around that sumptuous banquet table. Every hurt in your heart is healed. Every relational issue is healed. right now your body is made right everything is restored and we'll be around that table celebrating with Jesus and this bread we take and this cup we drink points to that time in the future